You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. Happy New Year. Uh, If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to be in the verses that Jerrica just read for us. Um, And as you're turning there, uh, welcome. If you're new, my name's Jamin. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to Citizens Church. And then a special welcome. We've got a lot of uh, kids in the room with us this morning, which is wonderful. So if you're a kid here and you're usually in uh, elementary or preschool ministry, uh, just know this. We love you. This is not uh, just your mom and dad's church. This is your church. And we are just so thrilled that you're here with us this morning. Uh, We love you. And um, I'm excited that there's going to be a little bit more noise in the room because usually your mom and dad are just quiet. And (laughs) I hate that. Um, First Thessalonians chapter five, the past uh, five weeks, we've been uh, turning our attention to Advent. Advent is a Latin word that means arrival or coming. And it's a season where uh, we as the church look back at Jesus's first coming and we look forward uh, to his second coming. And so his first coming was his birth and his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension. He's seated right now at the right hand of the Father, and one day he's going to come back. And this morning, I I just want to give all of our attention to his second coming. Um, And if if I could put everything into a question, it would be this. What does it look like to have a heart that is ready for his return? We pray an Advent prayer every year as a family. Um, I think we've prayed it for probably seven years now since our oldest was real young. And we try to pray it during Advent at least once a day. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. But here's the prayer. The prayer goes like this. Jesus, thank you for loving us and saving us from our sins. We are so glad you were born. Christmas is about you. Life is about you. We can't wait to see you again. Please come back soon. We love you, Jesus. Amen. And that's the Advent prayer. And and the prayer gives thanks for his first coming and turns our attention towards his first coming. But the prayer also uh, longs for his second coming. We can't wait to see you again. Please come back soon. And last year we prayed that prayer. And after uh, we prayed it, one of my kids came to me and and asked, "Um, Dad, is it okay if I don't want Jesus to come back until after Christmas? <laughs> and as they ask the question, they're glancing over to all the presents that are underneath the tree, right? And um, it's like, I do want to see Jesus, but I also want to see what's in all those boxes. And I want to see that really bad. And, and it, is it okay to, you know, to want him to come back maybe a few weeks from now, not today? And I appreciated the honesty, right? What it's saying is, is I know I should want Jesus to come back right now, but I'm kind of not ready for that. And what we believe about the return of Jesus as Christians is that that's what this world's waiting for. That's the end of the story, that all of our hope and all of our longing and all of our desire is tied up in the day that he parts the clouds and and our king returns. And my question this morning is, are we ready for that? Like, I don't know how often you think about Jesus coming back, but, but when you do, what comes to mind? What's kind of the emotional climate of your heart with response to his return? Maybe it's, you know, I'm actually really looking forward to something. And if he returned now, it would interrupt that. Or maybe you think about Jesus coming back and you think about your life. And on a more serious note, you think about your sin. And you think about 
Um, you know, not being as far along as you should be, thinking about not being as obedient as you know you should be. And maybe you want more time to change and more time to be faithful or more time to reconcile relationships. And so it could be, and I know that this is true for my heart, that, that when I think about Jesus coming back, my heart is not always where it should be with regard to his return. And Paul writes a letter to a church in Thessalonica, and, and it's basically what the entire letter is about, is about the return of Jesus. Uh, he had preached the gospel uh, to the Thessalonians. Uh, some believed, many did not. And he has to flee the city because of persecution. And he writes to the church that he left behind that he had just discovered was thriving in Jesus, even in persecution. And the main point of the letter is what Paul calls the day of the Lord. And it's just an Old Testament way of referring to the day that Jesus comes back. And uh, the section that we're in, it gives instruction on how to be ready for Jesus's return how to have a heart that is ready for his return and how to live every moment really of life uh, with an expectation for him to come back. And he sets it up like this. It'll take us a while to, to answer the question, but he sets it up like this. Verse one of chapter five. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. He starts by saying now concerning the times and the idea is that he had heard about this church that they were asking about when Jesus was going to come back and they'd love a timeline. It's something that Jesus' disciples asked him about. When can we expect? And uh, knowing that these Christians are being persecuted, it makes a lot of sense that they would love to know the day that Jesus is coming back. Because if it's two years from now and I have to endure this for another two years, that's different than if it's tomorrow. And I would live differently today if Jesus was coming back tomorrow. And Paul says, you guys know not to ask a question like that. If anyone is telling you they know when Jesus is coming back, if they have a prediction, it's not because they've cracked some sort of code in the Bible, it's actually because they haven't read their Bible. Because we don't know the time. Jesus says, we don't know the days. It's up to the Father to decide. And so instead of Paul giving them a timeline, he gives them two metaphors. He compares the return of Christ to two things. He says it's like a thief in the night, and he says it's like labor pains for a pregnant woman. And here's what it means. The thief comes when it's unexpected, uh, in the quiet of the night when things seem calm and uneventful. And labor pains, it means that something has started that you can't stop. He even uses the word, it's inescapable. So if you take the two metaphors together, Paul's saying the return of Jesus is two things. It's sudden and it's sure. And these verses set up the answer to our question. But I want to pause and acknowledge something that we can't ignore in these verses. For some, the return of Jesus is not a good day. Like with the return of Jesus comes the justice of God against evil in the world. The day of the Lord is a historic Old Testament way of describing God, the day of God's judgment. And so here's what we believe. For God to heal the world, he has to deal with the evil that hurts the world. That happens finally and fully when, when Jesus returns. And I know it's an unpopular idea to think of God's judgment, to think of God's justice, but think with me about how these Christians would have heard it in Thessalonica. There are people in their city cursing God and killing Christians, hating God and hurting people. And they're parading around, believing, Paul quotes them, there's peace and there's security because there's no one strong enough to stop them. 
No one's strong enough to oppose them. And behind that are evil forces in the kingdom of darkness who are believing that this world belongs to them. And so Paul writes and says, the return of Jesus is going to come sudden and sure, and King Jesus will take back what's his and reunite heaven and earth. And all who oppose him, all who haven't turned to him will be brought low. And God's justice will wash through his world. And I don't know all the answers of, of, the, uh, of the how questions and all that, but I do know that God is good and his justice is a good thing because he will do what's right. That's the setup in verses one through three. The return of Jesus is sudden and sure. We don't know the day. We don't know the time. So how are we to be ready always? How do we live every moment with a heart that's ready for the return of Christ? Paul's answer comes in three parts. It goes like this. But you... So then, for God. Look with me at at, at these verses. And and if you underline in your Bible, this would be a great time to do that. You'll find in verse 4, but you. Verse 6 begins with, so then. And verse 9 begins with, for God. And these are the movements. These are the the, kind of the three parts to his mini sermon here of how to be ready for his return always. And if I were to summarize each section to my own words, it would sound like this. But you belong to the light. So then live like the new creation has begun. For God holds your beautiful future. How do we live with hearts that are ready for the return? But you belong to the light. So then live like new creation has begun. For God holds your beautiful future. Look at verse four with me. But you are not in darkness, brothers and sisters, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Verses one through three are intense. Um, Christ's return is like a thief. It's sudden. It's like labor pains. It's sure and it's inescapable. And if I could just be honest about what happens in my heart when I read passages like these, and maybe happens for you, there's a part of me that gets a little anxious or a lot of anxious. Uh, There's a part of me that gets uh, a little bit fearful Uh, And maybe for you, doubt starts to sound off in your head. And we have visions of an angry, scary, cruel God. And and you think about the return of Jesus, and it's talked about like a thief, and it's sudden, it's unexpected, and so then your sin comes to mind. Something that only you and God know comes to mind. And the day is coming when everything is revealed and all evil is dealt with, when light exposes the darkness. And for anyone with a shred of honesty, that's an unsettling thought. Like, if I could just speak for me, I am a broken, prideful, ungrateful, self-reliant, God-forgetting, sin-indulging man. Happy New Year. I'm not who I was, but all of those words could rightly describe my life at times. And I don't know how you would describe you, but I am sure there is enough sin and failure in your life to welcome all kinds of fretful, guilty, anxious feelings at the thought of a holy God returning in glory to run away evil for good. The return is like a thief. It's sudden and sure, and that's scary. And then verse four interrupts the fear. And it interrupts the fear by speaking identity over you, Christian. But you belong to the light. You're children of the light. In other words, you don't have to fear the day of Jesus' return. He doesn't say that because there's no sin in their life. He says that because they believe the gospel of Jesus. Acts 17 tells us about the gospel coming to Thessalonica. In verse 2, it says, On three Sabbath days, he, being Paul, reasoned with them from scriptures 
explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some heard that and believed it. And to those people who believe that Jesus is the Christ, Paul writes and says, you belong to the light, not because you're sinless, not because you're worthy, but because Christ was proclaimed and you believed, and that changes everything about you. And I think, my friend, what many of us believe, if we were honest, is that we're pretty sure we're Christians. <laughs> like, I think God loves me. I think he does. But I won't know for sure until Jesus comes back. And there's a question mark over my salvation. And the thought of Jesus' return just magnifies that question mark because I believe, but I don't believe enough. And I obey, but I don't obey enough. And I love Jesus, but I don't love him enough. So I'm really just waiting to see. And whenever he does come back, I'm going to brace for judgment just a bit until I'm absolutely sure that I'm okay. And that's not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is not that you are as saved as you are, are good. The gospel is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and he rose again and he will, uh, he's seated at the right hand of the father and he's going to come again. And we are not ready for his return because we are good enough. We are ready for his return because he is even better than we could ever imagine. More gracious, more merciful, kinder, and all who believe that Jesus is the Christ belong to the day, belong to the light. So there's this beautiful change of metaphor that happens. I think it's just stunning. You are not in the darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children. You hear the change? That day won't be for you like a thief that comes. You're children. Our relationship to God is we are children to the Father. Jesus is our brother. We are family. And so the day of his return will not be like a break-in. It'll be like a homecoming. We're all welcomed like family by the Father, rescued by Jesus, our brother. How do we have a heart that's ready for Jesus' return? Believe the gospel. Believe the good news of Jesus. You're not an enemy of God. You're a child. Salvation is coming. You are safe and secure in Jesus, but you belong to the light. So then live like new creation has begun. Verse six through eight. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Uh, this whole section is incredibly illustrative. Paul's just mixing his metaphors over and over, which makes me feel really good about how I preach. But he's packed a bunch of metaphors into these verses. And so sleep and drunkenness, they describe someone who believes that this world is all there is. So uh, sleep is good. Um, the main point here is not the Bible treating alcohol and, and how to or not to use it. These are metaphors. So they are asleep. The idea is they are asleep to the reality of God in the world, and they are inebriated with evil. On the other hand, sobriety, being awake, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, the helmet, the hope of salvation, what that means is those are those, are, those, are those who belong to Jesus, and they're living righteously. So it's talking about the ethical implications of the fact that Jesus is coming back. So one way to be ready for his return is to live a righteous life. But hear me, it's not simply saying Jesus is coming back so you better behave. All the metaphors, there's this really compelling argument. Um, there's a house in our neighborhood 
that left their Christmas lights on all year long. Uh, they've had them up since last December, which made me really jealous because I've always wanted to do that, but I've never been allowed. Um, but not only this, not only did they leave their lights up, they weren't just like stayed on the roof um, or actually they were in their trees. They didn't just have them on their trees. They turned the lights on every night from since last December, or at least every night that I passed this house, their Christmas lights were on. And so forget about like the before Thanksgiving or after Thanksgiving argument. They had the house ready for Christmas all year long. And so there was a night in June, June, when I drove by the house and it was lit up like it was December and all the houses around were dark and every other house looked the way that houses look in June, but this house looked like Christmas. And regardless of what you think about whether or not that breaks the rules, I could not help but drive by that house in June and think about and look forward to Christmas every time I pass it at night. Even in June, it was a little bit of Christmas way earlier than you expect. One day, Jesus returns and he brings new creation with him. Heaven and earth reunited in its righteousness and its kindness and its generosity and its beauty and its mercy and its worship and its love. But what we believe is that a bit of that has already begun. What we believe is we believe that new creation began breaking into this old world when Jesus rose from the dead. So here's Paul's argument. To live now in accordance with the world that is and is to come, to live according to the day, to live like new creation has begun, to be like that house that is lit up for a season that feels really far away, but reminds all who see it that Christmas is coming. And when we have hearts that are changing to look like Jesus, and out of us comes kindness and generosity and beauty and grace and purity and obedience and worship, then our life shines new creation. It declares to all around us that the kingdom is and is coming. Our Christ-like character gives the world a vision now of the world that both is and is to come. Have you thought about your life that way? We don't have to fear the return of Jesus. We belong to the light. And with that, we have a responsibility to live like people who believe that a new world and a new way of living is coming and has begun. So then live like it. Today's the first day of a new year. It's a, it's a natural time for us to make resolutions. It's a natural time for us to take stock of things, to evaluate where we are and, and all that. What if we resolved together to be the kind of people that make those around us long for new creation. That there's enough of new creation character in us. We look enough like Jesus to make those around us miss him, long for him, desire to meet him. And at a time when the world is making resolutions that are mostly based on vanity, we set our hearts on becoming people who are virtuous. And if the street is dark, we want to be a life filled with light that's pointing to the coming season of Christ's return, which means we fill our life with the kinds of things that help us become those kinds of people. His word, being around his people, confession, repentance, being a part of church, worship. And no one is perfect. No one will have a life as bright as it should be. But by God's grace and the power of God's spirit, I can be faithful and I can be changing. And by God's grace and the power of his spirit, you can be faithful and you can be changing. How do I have a heart ready for Jesus' return? But you belong to the light. So then live like new creation has begun. For God hold your beautiful future. Verse nine and 10. 
For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. We have the hope, friends, that comes with knowing the ending while we're still in the middle of the story. God has not destined you for wrath. He's not destined me for wrath. What's our destiny? Salvation. And salvation for the purpose of being with him, being close to him. We talk about this often. Your worst case scenario in life, you know what it is? Your worst case scenario is resurrection and eternal life with a triune God who loves you so much he shed his own blood to secure that forever life for you. The Father planned it, the Son paid for it, the Spirit seals it. The one true God holds your beautiful future and your destiny is not wrath, it's worship and joy and love. And that means I can set my hope on that beautiful future. Um, So last year when my child looked under the tree and asked, Dad, is it okay if I don't want Jesus to come back until after Christmas? My response was, yeah. I mean, that's, that's normal and I get it. But I want you to know this, child. Whatever it is that you're looking forward to, it cannot compare to how good it will be to see Jesus. He is far better. Being with him will be like Christmas morning that never ends, that doesn't destroy your living room. He is the gift. He is the treasure that our hearts all long for. And I don't know, friend, what in life pains you now. I don't know what in life you're hoping in or what you're looking forward to. But know this, brother, and know this, sister. A day is coming when every hurt will be healed and every longing will be met. And all that's left is all that we need. And all it is is Jesus. I love how C.S. Lewis describes it in the last book of his Narnia series. It's called The Last Battle, and he's describing eternity as its beginning. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. That's the beautiful future that God holds for you. The beginning of the real story, which is better than the chapter that came before. Jesus is returning. He's coming back and he's going to heal everything that hurts the world to bring heaven back together. Let's have hearts that are ready. But you belong to the day. So then live like new creation has begun. For God holds your beautiful future. Lord, we love you. Jesus, thank you for loving us and saving us from our sins. We are so glad you were born. Life is about you. We can't wait to see you again. Please come back soon. We love you, Jesus. And I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray that our hearts would just collectively um, have this confidence in our relationship with you. Uh, I don't know uh, what the reflection is on 2022. I don't know if someone would call it the best year of my life or the worst year of my life. Um, I don't know how much energy there is in the heart right now to try to resolve to be better or do better or try harder. 
I don't know if somebody's presence here, even right now, is part of that attempt to clean life up or earn your favor, maybe. So would you just um, cut through all that, God, and seal in our collective hearts a confidence that we are loved by you in Jesus, that because of your death, because of your resurrection, because of your ascension, because of your reign at the Father's right hand, because of your sudden and sure return, that we can look at all of that with the confidence as those whose judgment day has been moved from the future to the past. And we can have the confidence of those who belong to the new creation, that you, Jesus, our big brother, you're going to return and you're gonna share your inheritance with us. Thank you. And so may we, from a place of confidence in your love, live lives that point to new creation, that we would live righteously and holy, God. And may our desires be set unwaveringly on the beautiful future that you're bringing. We love you. We need you. It's your name we pray. Amen.